From the Paul Blar Mall Cop 2 Studios in Los Angeles, it's time to go back to the films. Now here's your host, Tommy T. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining me for the eighth installment of Back to the Films, a podcast dedicated to the reminiscence and appreciation of films of old and new. I am your host, Tommy T. Today we will be discussing the film with the bold message that when women are granted the same treatment and opportunities that men are given, they can achieve the same exact things. Anola Holmes, starring Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, Sam Claflin, and Helena Bottom Carter. Now before we begin, make sure you understand the definition of feminism, as this film is a feminist movie, not a female supremacy one. The film begins with its Tyler character Nola Holmes bicycling through the green plains of England. Through some zany transitions, we learn that Nola was born in 1884, and considering her young age, we can conclude that the film takes place right around the turn of the 20th century. Nola was given her weird-ass name by her mother Eudoria, as Nola spelled backwards rights alone, and along with being a fan of word games, always wanted Nola to be a strong, independent woman. I personally think that independent written backwards, T-N-E-B-D-E-N-E, or strong written backwards, Gnords, have better rings to them. But hey, she's not my daughter. We also learn that due to her father dying when she was young, and her two older brothers moving out of the house soon afterwards, Anola was raised by Eudoria, and together they were different from other girls, partaking in unconventional hobbies such as reading, science, and sports. Women? Reading? Impossible. Through even more exposition, is revealed that Eudoria hosted secret girls-only slumber parties, ones where they used secret codes to cook up terrorist plots. And finally, God all this exposition. We learn that on Anola's 16th birthday, Eudoria disappeared without a trace, leaving only a box with flower drawings and a decipher for Anola. Anola is bicycling through the countryside to reach a train, as she is supposed to rendezvous with her two older brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. And if you're the detective type, you might have already deduced that one of her brothers is none other than Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, scholar, chemist, virtuoso violinist, expert marksman, swordsman, single-stick fighter, pugilist, and brilliant deductive thinker. And don't forget, a handsome son of a bitch. On the other hand, Anola's older brother Mycroft, who along with looking like the Monopoly guy with his top hat and handlebar mustache, is the type of guy who has the proverbial stick shoved up his ass as far as humanly possible. Returning to the ancestral home of Ferndale Hall, Mycroft is disgruntled to find the houses in disarray. See kids, this is what happens when you give women independence. After Mycroft throws a proper hissy fit, the trio starts investigating Eudoria's disappearance, where it's revealed that Henry Cavill saying, hmm, chrysanthemums, is the one thing I've been missing out in my life. From the clues left in her bedroom, Sherlock discovers that Eudoria planned her disappearance, and Mycroft discovers a book whose topic leaves him appalled. Oh good god, feminism. Having been taught by Eudoria rather than by proper governess, Mycroft is concerned that Enola is unprepared for the cruel world awaiting her, a cruel world created by men like Mycroft ironically, and hires a governess named Miss Harrison to teach Enola how to be a lady. Appropriately named after the hairy coochie waiting under her 72-layer dress, Miss Harrison rolls into Ferndale Hall like an evil Mary Poppins on her slick, state-of-the-art motor car. It doesn't take long for Enola and Miss Harry Coochie to not get along, and for Enola to beg Sherlock to make her his ward. Sherlock turns down Nola's request, however, much to her frustration. Wishing for some privacy, Nola runs off to sketch in a tree, but being, you know, Sherlock fucking Holmes, the sleuth finds Nola before he can say, Hmm, chrysanthemums. God, I love that. Taking a spill next to the tree, Sherlock recalls a memory of young Nola in his deep, orgasmic voice. You had a pine cone wrapped in wool. Dragged it with you wherever you went. 
calling it Dash. Someone told you that Queen Victoria had a cavalier King Charles Spaniel called Dash, and you decided you wanted the same. Arnold asked Sherlock why he never visited a rogue, with Sherlock responding that he was too busy saving the world and all that shit. Frustrated him for treating Eudora's disappearance as a tasty little mystery to unwrap, Sherlock tells Anola that You're being emotional. It's understandable, but unnecessary. Women, am I right? After having some time to let her hormones settle down, Anola realizes that, oh yeah, I should probably check the box of fucking clues Mother left me, and in doing so, discovers a message that she left her, that being a checker, hmm. chrysanthemums. Anola finds an envelope of one of Eudora's drawings of chrysanthemums, full of cash and a flower drawing with the inscription, our future is up to us. This recites a memory in Nola's mind, one in which Eudoria tells her, There are two paths you can take, Anola. Yours, or the path others choose for you. Wanting to find her mother, and not wanting to attend Miss Harry Cucci's finishing school for young ladies, Anola takes off on a journey to find Eudoria, and in turn, herself. While wearing Sherlock's clothes and disguised as a boy, Anola boards a train that looks like it was ripped right out of the Harry Potter universe. Seriously, I'm expecting chocolate frogs and dementors any minute. But not without notice a bunch of horty torty types blabbering on about a runaway son and a mysterious man with a streaker coat boarding the train. Taking a seat in one of the train carriages, Anola thinks she's experiencing a bad trip and the bag sneezes and starts moving by itself, only to realize that there's a young dude hiding in the back. The young dude introduces himself as Viscount Tewkesbury, the Marquis of Basil Weather, and reveals that he sees right through Anola's disguise, because despite being a dude, Tewkesbury looks more like a chick than Anola herself. It turns out that Tewksbury is in hiding from the guy in the streaker coat, and that he was a runaway son the hoity-toity types were talking about. Having her own issues, and not wanting to get involved in his ruse, Anola leaves Tewksbury to fend for himself. But after hearing his cries for help, <coughs> Anola goes back to help Tewksbury, preventing streaker coat from killing him and saving his life. Leaving streaker coat abandoned on the train to Hogwarts, Anola and Tewksbury make their way to London. Although Anola finds him rather annoying and ignorant at first, her annoyance turns into attraction when Tewksbury shows a surprising amount of knowledge on flowers, herbs, and other forms of plant life. Arctium lapper, which you'll know as burdock. Very tasty. And there's trifolium, clover. And is that... Yes, I knew it! Mushrooms! Hmm, <laughs> you had me at mushrooms. While sitting around a campfire, unfortunately not being stalked by dangerous wildlife, Anola and Tewksbury realize that they are one and the same, as both of them are runaways, and both didn't really know their fathers. After a tree branch nearly killed them while collecting wild mushrooms. Get it? Wild mushrooms? You know what I'm talking about. Tewksbury had an epiphany of sorts, one that Anola can relate with. And I realized I was scared. Scared I would hate every second of the rest of my life. Due to his distinctive head of hair, Anola gives Tewksbury a haircut worthy of supercuts and despite their mutual interest in one another, are successful in not groping each other for the night. After arriving in London, the angsty, horny teens go their separate ways, but not without some obvious affection permeating for both of them. In an effort to blend in, Anola visits a dress shop to make herself appear more like an unassuming lady and less like a cross-dressing girl. Afterwards, Anola purchases a quaint lodging house from the dress shop's owner, complete with cute little rodents to keep her company. Anola begins to search for Eudoria Posthase, leaving encrypted messages in multiple newspapers that only she could decipher. Once she has done so, Anola visits the tea shop, as this was the only address Eudoria regularly wrote to. Hearing a ruckus upstairs, Anola discovers that there's a woman's only judo class being taught by a sassy black woman named Edith. While inquiring about Eudoria, Edith recognizes Anola, 
telling her that she taught Enola all she knew about kicking ass. And considering that Enola didn't recognize Edith, after what one can predict was many hours of practice, Edith must have gave her one too many concussions. Despite obviously knowing her whereabouts, Edith refuses to tell Enola where to find Eudoria, stating that she doesn't want to be found and that she's got important business to take care of. Enola's concussion repressed memories come in like a wave, recognizing Edith from one of Eudoria's secret girls-only slumber parties, one in which Ellie Houseman was mentioned. Enola asks Edith who Ellie Houseman is, and tired of all her prodding questions, gives Enola a judo hip toss and tells her to get the step With Eudoria being unoriginal with her code making, Enola is able to determine that Ellie Houseman is not a person, but a place, and reordering all of its letters, discovers that place to be Limehouse Lane. Recognizing Eudora's distinctive purple ribbon on the front door's padlock, Ellie enters Limehouse Lane through a side window. Despite being void of any people, Limehouse Lane is full to the brim of women's suffrage pamphlets, much to Enola's joy, along with the crates of explosives, much to Enola's horror. Unsure of what Eudoria is cooking up, and unsure if she even wants to find her anymore, Enola leaves Limehouse Lane, only to be taken by surprise by the one guy who gets a kick out of such activities, Streaker Coats. Interrogating her on Tewksbury's whereabouts, Enola is unable to answer Streaker Coat's questions, and after Enola insults Streaker Coat by telling him, No, your face is totally unmemorable! Tries to kill her in a fit of incelibate fueled rage. Fighting to the death, Enola and Streaker Coat make their way back into Limehouse Lane. Streaker Coat pulls out a knife, and despite Enola having undergone many years of fighting lessons, is able to stab her with relative ease. Unfortunately for Streaker Coat, however, Enola's corset stops the blade from entering her body, and having taken offense to Streaker Coat trying to kill her, ignites the explosives and blows them up to kingdom come. Returning to her quaint lodging house, Enola decides to put the search for Eudoria on hold in order to save Tewksbury, because despite being a foolish, proud, and utterly ridiculous individual, Tewksbury is a damsel in distress in need of Enola's help. Act 2. Saving Viscount Tewksbury Beginning her search for Tewksbury, Enola has a Basilweather Hall disguised as a widow, as they are dangerous and unpredictable creatures that people avoid at all costs. Despite being incredibly young to be a widow, seriously, did her husband die while taking his driving test or something? The servants let Enola through to speak with Tewksbury's mom, uncle, and grandma. Enola tells the three pompous pricks that she's a private detective there to investigate Tewksbury's disappearance. But with the trio scoffing at the idea that a woman could be a private detective, makes an audible and says that she's Sherlock's assistant instead. With Enola about to deceive them hook, line, and sinker, Lestrade, a detective at Scotland Yard investigating Tewksbury's disappearance and a longtime associate of Sherlock's, barges in out of nowhere, saying that Enola's lying that she is not Sherlock's assistant. Unsure what to make of all of this, Tewksbury's mom kicks Enola and Lestrade out of Basilweather Hall, where they debate Sherlock's favorite pie and other fun trivia questions on the world's greatest detective. Speaking of the handsome son of a bitch, Sherlock pays a visit to Edith's tea shop. Sherlock knew to go there, as he found letters addressed to the shop hidden in Eudora's fireplace. After Sherlock threatens to have the shop closed down, and after Edith threatens to beat him up, highly unlikely due to his pugilist skills and Herculean upper body, Edith gives Sherlock the runaround and refuses to answer his questions, similar to how she did with Enola. Being the world's greatest detective, Sherlock's able to deduce that Edith has spoken to Enola, but not without Edith trying to tear him a new one. You haven't any hope of understanding any of this. You do know that. Educate me as to why. Because you don't know what it is to be without power. Politics doesn't interest you. Why? Because it's fatally boring. Because you have no interest in changing a world that suits you so well. A pretty speech. A scary one. You're intelligent enough to know that every word of it is true. 
Good idea, filmmakers. Have your only black character in the film who barely has any screen time and is a prime example of tokenism, belittle one of modern literature's most beloved characters, being depicted by one of modern cinema's most beloved actors. By the way, the people who quote Edith during the scene on social media in an effort to appear progressive, despite the fact that she's most likely a terrorist, you're making this scene even more ridiculous. In a scene not nearly as quoted on social media, Mycroft rendezvous with Lestrade at a barbershop, where he tasks Lestrade with finding Enola and bringing her back to him. This scene also pinpoints the exact moment where I remember that Sam Claflin, a handsome SOB in his own right, is depicted in Mycroft. Oh, how horrible facial hair can ruin a gorgeous face. You're listening to Back to the Films. Follow me on Twitter at BackToTheFilmsP for updates on future episodes and other wacky shenanigans. And check out my new website at BackToTheFilmsP.wordpress.com. And without further ado, let's get back to the titillating action. Noel asks a gardener at Bazweather Hall where she should start looking for Tewksbury, to which he gives the most unspecific directions ever of the woods. While conducting her search for Tewksbury in the woods, Enola comes across a tree branch that nearly killed him while he was collecting wild mushrooms, noticing that his end was sawed off instead of broken. Enola finds Tewksbury's treehouse nearby, and wanting to inquire some information on his whereabouts and some juicy deeds that she can use to end up in bed with him, starts digging through his stuff. It doesn't take long for Enola to conclude that Tewksbury led those trying to kill him astray to Limehouse Lane, explaining why Streakerco was there, and that his real intentions are to become a florist in a garden market. In movie cliche number 82, Unnecessarily Sneaking Up on People, Tewksbury's grandma startles Enola in a sequence as equally awkward as it is unintentionally funny. It's not as stable as you think up there. Some of those branches are extremely capricious. Good morning. She inquires Enola about the search for her grandson, and during a walk and talk, makes it clear that she's a total Trumpster. As the world becomes increasingly unstable, it feels important that these ideas of England are preserved for the safety and security of the future of our country. But you're probably one of those new thinkers. My son was a new thinker too. Never could focus on what was. It was always about what could be. England's true glory is what is. Tewksbury's grandma asks Enola to let Tewksbury know that she cares about him before bidding her adieu. Enola reunites with Tewksbury in the garden market indicated in his book, and after some flirting and giggling, informs Tewksbury that she missed him and that his life's still in danger. The two lovebirds return to Enola's lodging house, failing to spot a wanted poster with their face on it. While there, Enola tells Tewksbury of her hopes of finding Eudoria, and her belief that not only did Tewksbury's own family send a killer after him, but that they were the ones behind his father's death as well. Tipped off by the dress shop owner lent Enola the lodging house, the duo is ambushed by Lestrade. While trying to capture Enola and Tewksbury, Lestrade gets his ass kicked by the two teens. Retreating to her room, Enola and Tewksbury hold the door while Lestrade tries to ram it open on the other side. Cornered and with nowhere else to hide, Enola tells Tewksbury to make a run for it, much to his disapproval. After some initial hesitation, Tewksbury listens to Enola and disappears out the window, with the aid of the dress shop owner. Help me now! Useless maiden! Lestrade finally pushes open the door and captures Enola, sending her back to Mycroft. While riding in a carriage in movie cliche number 47, Heavy Rainfall, Enola accuses Mycroft of trying to control her to protect his reputation, despite his claims that he just wants her to be happy. And by happy, he means getting married to a wealthy man and popping out kids. Enola promises Mycroft that if he lets her go, she'll live a life disassociated from his. But after some overacting... You are my ward! And you will do as you are told! Turns down her request. And with that, Mycroft drops Enola off at Miss Harry Coochie's finishing school for young ladies. 
As a student enrolled in her school, Miss Harry Cucci teaches Enola to laugh, walk, speak, stitch, eat, and vote like a lady. Oh, that's right, they can't vote yet. Sherlock pays Enola a visit, although he hasn't found Eudoria yet. Sherlock found Limehouse Lane, and due to it being blown to smithereens, knows that Enola found Limehouse Lane as well. Considering the explosives and whatnot, Enola asks Sherlock if he'll try to stop Eudoria's potential terrorist plot, to which he responds by saying that he doesn't get involved in politics. Enola makes a snarky comment that unless there are cases solved, he doesn't get involved with people either. Having enough of this bullshit, Sherlock makes it crystal clear that the reason he's visiting Enola in the first place is because he cares about her. Knowing that he's telling the truth, Enola lets Sherlock off the hook, teasing him by saying that You're being emotional. It's understandable, but unnecessary. Sherlock informs Enola that he also knows of her involvement in the Tewksbury case, complimenting her sleuthing skills in the process. Before heading off, Sherlock gives Enola Dash, her old toy pinecone dressed up as a dog, and a piece of advice, one that might prove to be useful later on. Sometimes you must dangle your feet in the water in order to attract the sharks. Sherlock also reminds Enola that The choice is always yours. Whatever society may claim, it can't control you. Later that day, Enola receives a package from Mycroft, only to realize the package contains one Viscount Tewksbury. Proven to be a good listener when he chooses to actually listen, Tewksbury knew that Enola would be in Miss Harry Coochie's school and is there to liberate her, smuggling her out in the same package that he was delivered in. Enola and Tewksbury jack Miss Harry Coochie's motor car and are successful in their escape. Act 3. And you thought your family was bad. Reaching a crossroads, with one road heading towards safety and another towards certain danger, Enola chooses to take the road towards certain danger, that being Baselweather Hall. This is because after reading how close the next reform bill would be, and considering that he was to be inducted into the House of Lords at any moment, Enola concluded that the one person who would benefit most from Tewksbury's death was his uncle, and that he was the one who hired Streakako to kill him. Tewksbury asked Enola the fair, sane question of why would you want to take the road towards certain danger instead of safety, to which she responds with, Sometimes, Lord Tewksbury, you have to dangle your legs in the water to attract the bloody sharks! Why would you want to attract the bloody sharks? Good point! Arriving at Baselweather Hall, Tewksbury asks Enola why she is doing this, which she answers by saying that this is the type of show Eudori made her for, that she's just built different. With Enola and Tewksbury entering inside, it appears that Baselweather Hall is completely devoid of life. No servants, no stuck-up rich relatives, nada. This illusion of desolation is quickly unveiled, however, when somebody starts shooting at Enola and Tewksbury, taking cover behind a set of armor. It turns out that the shooter is none other than Streaker Coats, who not only survived the explosion in Limehouse Lane, but is totally unscathed, essentially making him the T-1000 of the cinematic universe. After a short scuffle, Strikako knocks Enola out with the butt of his shotgun and starts choking Tewksbury to death. After receiving some ethereal inspiration from Eudoria, Enola, you're not alone. You're not alone. Enola wakes up from her stupor and saves Tewksbury by finally pulling off the judo move she awkwardly tried performing throughout the film on Stricker Coats. This move would prove to be a little too effective though, as Enola kills the guy, but not without him partaking in a cliched bad guy final word scene. Who are you working for? Who do you work for? England. With a light tap of a cane and some more ethereal music. It's revealed that Tewksbury's grandma was the mastermind behind his assassination attempt, and not his uncle like Enola believed. Being the most over-the-top conservative ever, 
Tewksbury's grandma was willing to kill her own grandson to prevent change, and taking matters into her own hands, fills Tewksbury's chest up with some birdshot. Believing him to be dead, Enola starts crying, but is relieved to find that the birdshot didn't enter Tewksbury's chest, as he managed to hide a piece of armor behind his shirt while Strigako wasn't looking. Seeing the nasty wound left on the side of her head, Tewksbury remarks that Enola is, in fact, built different, and with the deepest, most menacing voice he can muster, tells his grandma that her time is over, and with a dramatic crescendo, the screen fades to black. We then transition to Scotland Yard, where Sherlock pays his old colleague Lestrade a visit. Sherlock urges Lestrade to arrest Tewksbury's grandma, as he has successfully deduced that she was the one trying to kill Tewksbury. Lestrade informs Sherlock that Enola has already solved the case, which being a confident man without a sensitive ego, amuses him. <laughs> well actually Enola didn't figure out that it was Tewksbury's grandma trying to kill him until after it was dropped on her lap, but this is a woman empowerment film goddammit. And as far as we're concerned, she was right. Looking as drop dead gorgeous as possible, the type in which boys would think, oh I made a mistake in not ending up with her, Enola pays Tewksbury a visit, who while getting ready to vote on the reform bill, is looking dapper himself. We learn that with the award money Tewksbury's mom gave her, Enola is transitioned to a nicer, less rodent-infested lodging house. Tewksbury offers Enola to live with him, and although she is touched by his kind offer, declines it by awkwardly groping Tewksbury's hand. Concerned that he'll never see her again, Enola assures him that, You're not rid of me yet, Viscount Tewksbury Marquess of Basilweather. And after Tewksbury kisses her hand, Enola takes off before doing something whose actions results in something she regrets, like kids. Ugh. While scanning the day's newspaper, Enola discovers that a secret message has been left for her, and with the deciphery Dory gave her, determines it to read, Meet me, Royal Academy, five tonight, mother. Enola finds this message to be suspicious, however, as the message was signed mother instead of, Hmm, chrysanthemums. And the Royal Academy is a decent establishment, one that doesn't allow women. Enola concludes that this is a trap set by Sherlock, but out of hope of reuniting with Adoria goes anyway. It turns out that Enola's suspicions were right, as Mycroft and Sherlock are scoping the Royal Academy for her. While doing so, Sherlock asks Mycroft to make Enola his ward, and having had enough of her teenage angst, grants Sherlock's request. The two brothers also discuss the reform bill, which when considering that it was passed by a single vote, means that Tewksbury's vote was in fact decisive, and that his grandma didn't try to kill him for no reason. While leaving, Sherlock spots Enola's old toy dash on a statue, and rather than search for her, leaves Enola alone to live her own life. Returning to her new lodging house, Enola is shocked to find that her mother Adoria is waiting for her. Although she would like to stay, Adoria can't stay long, as people might be watching and she's got to grab some milk at the grocery store. Adoria apologizes to Enola for leaving her, insisting that telling her where she went would have been unsafe, and that she left for her, to make the world a better place, you see. Proud of her for helping pass the reform bill, Adoria exclaims that, Oh, it's funny. I thought I was the one that was going to change the world. It lets Enola know that she's proud of the woman she's become. Eudoria thanks Enola for the messages she left her in the newspapers, and lets Enola know that if she ever needs her, all she needs to do is leave a message. Eudoria embraces her daughter with a hug, with Enola embracing her mother in return. But don't let this distract you from the fact that Eudoria is most likely a fucking terrorist. You have to make some noise if you want to be heard. Why the extra emphasis on noise, Mom? Were you foreshadowing the sounds of explosions, the sirens of passing ambulances, the screams of the injured? Holy shit, that got dark quickly. Well, I'm just preparing y'all for the sequel. The film ends in a neat little package, where Enola, who is now essentially the female version of her brother Sherlock, repeats every inspirational or empowering thing that people told her throughout the film. 
My name is Enola, which backwards spells alone. To be a home, you must find your own path. My brothers have, my mother has, and I must too. But I now see that being alone doesn't mean I have to be lonely. Mother never wanted that. She wanted me to find my freedom, my future, my purpose. I am a detective. I am a decipherer. And I am a finder of lost souls. My life is my own. And the future is up to us. Thank you for listening to Back to the Films. Join me next time, where I'll be discussing the sequel that when considering the toxic political landscape that contemporary America finds itself in, should work even better than the original. Borat 2.